2: Welcome, welcome, welcome to this incredible, funny, awesome <laughs> hump day. We're recording the show here for Wednesday, which is tomorrow, um, <laughs> February tenth. So I'll just go ahead and be honest with you. Yes, it's it's Tuesday here in the studio, but it's Wednesday for you tuning in. Fong, our producer, is in studio. Hello, Fong. Hello, Michelle. Um, uh, you're leaving us. I should just keep reminding uh, our listeners here. You're you're leaving us. Yeah. Yeah. You, you sound way too happy about it. You're normally like, you know, t- sleepy and like whatever. This is the first time you're actually happy. I woke up today, had some caffeine because <laughs> I'm like, I'm so tired all the time. I don't want to sound so tired because our guest is going to be bored. <laughs> or, or it's, I'm leaving you. Uh. <laughs> right oh yeah she chuckles (laughs) she laughs so for our listeners we we are transitioning we are we've got someone who will be joining us we'll see if he's brave enough to get behind the mic to even have a chat with me he looks really scared it took a while (laughs) it's gonna take him a while too i'll open him up I, i bet you i can um, thank you again for joining us. We're going to have a great fun show, uh, at least the first half. The second half, uh, we'll have a serious conversation, and uh, that has a lot to do with youth suicide in the Mormon community. So you'll want to stick around and definitely tune into this program. Before we get started, today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today is Isaac Oliver. He's the author of Intimacy Idiot. And uh, <laughs> before I say anything else, I mean, I, I should say that there are, there are essays, there are stories, there are sketches of life and love as a young, big-hearted, extremely single gay man in New York, which to me just sounds like the gayer version of <laughs> Sex in the City. But we'll see. We'll find out. And this is um, looks like it's been birthed uh, a, from a, a show that Isaac... Uh, that uh, produces and performs at. So let's welcome Isaac to the program. Isaac, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Uh,
2: before we dive thank into... Thank you for
0: honoring the italics. on extremely single.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, w- oh, we're, we're going to get there. I'm definitely going to ask you what that's all about. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that, you know, we'll share you know, some of the stories from the book with our audience today. But before we get... There, let's back up and let's get to know you personally, and perhaps information that your publicist won't let you talk about, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> which would Uh-oh. be fun. Um, but yeah, tell us. You know, uh, yeah, where are you from? Where did you grow up? What was life like for Isaac as young little Isaac?
0: Oh well, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and had a had a you know, admittedly a pretty uh, blissful childhood i mean i was very theatrical and flamboyant from a very very early age and was always sort of in my mother's high heels and dresses and uh acting out carol burnett from annie and maria from the sound of music and you know just my parents had a lot of time to really prepare for um what what they had on their hands and um (laughs) <laughs> so by the time I even realized I was gay or you know it, it, they they had they had done all the grappling with it and they were uh ready to welcome me which was really I'm I'm very lucky for that. So um, I, I yeah, so like I went I was me. a writer from a young age. I was always writing ridiculous little stories and um then I went to a performing arts high school where I studied playwriting and then went to college for playwriting and mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's always been a part of my life and something I've been pursuing. You
2: know? I feel like what I'm hearing from you is kind of something that happened. You know, when I was when I was growing up, I mean, I was so gay that my my mom had no choice.
0: but
1: <laughs>
2: No matter truly, how she f- truly felt about it, it is what it is, and most of, for most of us, that yeah. is the experience. Um, so I
0: was, just, I was just talking about that at yeah. the, last night with a friend about those of us who didn't who didn't really ever have. I don't even want to say luxury, because I don't think it's a luxury, but but um, that didn't have the opportunity to really ever be mistaken, you know, for straight, <laughs> you know, the people who, you know, we, we couldn't ever pass, really. I think that sort of, um, I don't know. Yeah, don't know. no, it, 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 it adjusts you somewhat differently.
2: It definitely does, um, and now here you are. You've got you know a, a book of stories that you tell. Uh, yeah. Something that is actually very personal, which is, you know, dating. I mean, who shares their dating stories unless you're drunk at a bar? And then <laughs> worse yet, if you're gay, or drunk
0: at home. You
2: are drunk at home. Yes, that's right. Let's start off with the like fact that um, this this w- you know started as a uh, as a performance piece or or a play, I should say. Yeah. Um, well,
0: it, it it actually started. I, I had a blog for many years sort of in between plays. Uh, I started a blog and was just sort of writing little, um, you know, sort, sort of quick uh, stories or, you know, little, little scenes, you know, scenes from my box office job or scenes from casual sex. You know, I would sort of still be using some of the playwriting techniques and and um, from there I sort of started getting this pile of material that was, in a way, still theatrical and was sort of meant for an audience, you know, it is, you know, storytelling, and so um, some actor friends and I started doing sort of a sketch show out of all the material, and I was sort of the, like, gay garrison Keeler over on the side and um, narrating, and then um, it sort of then... From there, morphed into as I got more and more comfortable on stage and began to really enjoy reading the pieces and and performing them for an audience. that became uh, really more of a solo show. I mean, I still, I it's it's sort of a hybrid now between author reading and sort of I, I don't want to say stand up comedy because I sit down. I'm very weak weak need. Um, so I sit down comedy, <laughs> um, and I read from the page and and it's it's really You know, it's equally part of my writing process, just as much as, you know, sitting at home and um, being on my own. I really do um, value, you know, reading something brand new or something that's in rough shape in front of an audience. I find that very, very helpful. So um, I did, I I, I came up out of a theater in New York called Ars Nova off-Broadway, and and I had a sort of regular monthly show there for a couple years that helped me develop all the material, and then put it into a book, and <laughs> and now now here I am.
2: Here so. you are. So, I, I mean, let's let's put it out there uh, for the audience. These are true, accurate stories of your dating life.
0: They are. They are. We, we, when the book went through the legal department at Simon & Schuster, the lawyer, I finally, you know, she just kept saying, was this true? Was this true? And I kept saying, yes, yes. And, and she said, well, I'm sorry. I just assumed some of these were. You made them up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. They're just kind of sad.
1: Yeah. Well...
0: Make
2: these up, but, yeah. I mean, let, let, before again, we we're going to share some stories from the book. But, um, you know, I want to talk about dating in the LGBTQ community. And, uh, you know, I think I think a lot of us portray as if it's like easier that, you know, there's there's massive hookups happening all the time. But I think yeah. the true story about that is it's equally difficult for us as any other uh, couple out there gay or straight. What do you think of that statement?
0: I think so, certainly. I mean, it's certainly, I I would say maybe it's easier to get laid, um, which is what you were saying, but um, just because I think we're a little more direct or, you know, we don't have all the sort of um, courtship constructs, you know, sort of leading to sex in the way that, you know, other couples might, but um, so that's sort of, uh sex is allowed to, is is more widely accepted as something that can exist in its own realm um but i, I do think even that makes it harder to 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 find someone mm-hmm. and, and connect on a on a on a real level of, you know on an emotional level on a personal level it's it's hard to, i mean it's ton know. it's hard to get to know people in any instance i guess but um you right. know, and right. we're also withdrawn now. You know, we're all self-isolating with our phones and our apps, and you know, it's—I don't know—the the, the social aspects are, I think, on a decline. But
2: that's true. That's very. I mean, I feel that way too. I, I want to talk a little bit about the title "Intimacy Idiot," and I find <laughs> that this title is actually perfect for gay men who, you know, are, are dating. Um, in that, you <clears> know, some it, you know, I, this is again, I'm. A, full disclaimer I'm a lesbian um <laughs> so I'm just going to put this out there and say it as as ignorant as it sounds but sometimes I would think that in, there's intimacy that that's lacking especially when you're dating and in some cases right, it yeah. almost feels as if um y- you know gay guys uh kind of uh, I mean the sex part is a lot easier for you guys than it is I think for for women
0: um yeah
2: but tell you us know, about the title lesbian. What's that? You know, any
0: lesbian intimacy idiot?
2: <laughs> um, I think I could count my. Uh, I might be able to count myself as one, but, but 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 I'm going to listen to you explain the title before sure. I, I say I do.
0: Yeah, I just. Um, I I think it's it, it's something you know I I can really only speak for myself. I just, um, you know, it's something to me it, it it was an idea that was evolving in my head. You know, as I was you know, getting more and more comfortable performing and being in front of an audience and having all that fun, you know, in a room full of people or being out with friends in large groups and um, just the things you can say to each other and how comfortable you are. And then, you know, you sit down with one other person across the table and and I'm just all thumbs. You know, I'm just a complete mess. And, you know, what that... You know, i I do mean the title, for the most part, you know, as a joke, as as fun. Like I don't think I'm an idiot per se, but I do think I you know my there, there there there's a work and a skill that that I think you have to continually sort of hone at at being intimate with people and you know the sort of the work of revealing yourself and and taking that risk and not knowing, you know sort of surrendering a bit of control. In your life to another person by allowing another person in,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. it's it's something that I continue to struggle with. Um, so,
2: very, yeah. very, very well said. Um, I think right now, I'm, I'm sorry.
0: I was not a fan of the title, but <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love it. I mean, that would be, I mean, <laughs> Oh with the the male Barbie doll looking figure <laughs> sticking out of oh the O, I think it's the yeah. best. Um, Cover of a book ever.
0: Great cover, right? I, I I was so thrilled. That was the that was the only cover they showed me, and this is coming from. I mean, this book got rejected all over town, and you know, so many of the publishing houses were saying, you know, we like it, but it's too gay, it's too you know, there's there's not enough, you know, it's too niche, there's not enough of an audience, it's not relatable enough, and and then I you know wound up with Scribner, who was so wonderful, and they, as you can see from the, they showed me that cover, and I just started crying because I was like not only are you not apologizing for the gay content, like you are leading with it (laughs) with a bent over... Ken doll <laughs> Bring into a glory
2: hall. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant because here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like I mentioned earlier in my introduction, I, I mean, you could look at it from the gayer version because I think sex in the city is gay, is pretty gay. Um, oh, but yeah. as, as well as you know, the audience and the following, uh, but also this book and uh, your performance can be treated as a gay, an actual gay version of it in that, how many straight women and or or even lesbians who are friends of gay men enjoy sitting there listening to you talk about your adventures within the community? I think we all do, and we connect with it yeah. somewhere somehow.
0: That that was one of the really wonderful things. I, I did a little book tour over the summer, and I came to San Francisco actually, and was at uh, the Oasis Club and. Um, just at at each place, sort of seeing how diverse the audience was, you know, in terms of not just sexuality, but and gender, but a, you know, ages, you know, all all over the spectrum. I mean, I, when I went to Baltimore, my parents brought up their church choirs, and you know, they all bought books for their like newly out gay grandsons and daughters, and you know, it was just it was actually really. Um, I, I found it very reaffirming after sort of going through that hurdle of everybody saying no one will relate to this because mm-hmm. it's too gay. I mean, I I th- I think the more specific an experiences that you're conveying, the more relatable it, I think that's what makes something relatable. So Right, right.
2: Um Oh, well, I I think it's a perfect time for us to take a quick short break and when we come back, uh I'd love to hear the you know some of the stories inside the book. So stay with us, okay?
0: Right. Thank
2: you. We'll be right back with Isaac Oliver, the author of Intimacy Idiot. You don't want to miss the second half because he'll be reading right from the book. Don't go away.
1: g-r-e-c-a-r-e.com allegra home care serving your community and now back to the michelle meow show
2: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our guest today is author Isaac Oliver. Um, He's also a performer and a playwright. His new book is Intimacy Idiot. And so, Isaac, we said that we will share some actual stories of (laughs) your dating life. Um, I want to bring up Grindr just because I think that... uh, a lot of people have um, stories about Grindr, but also because I think heterosexual people love hearing stories <laughs> about dating life on Grindr.
0: They do. I think it's, I, I don't know, it's, it's so wildly exotic and I think thrilling uh, for them to hear about. And, and did, well, I, didn't Tinder start out as sort of like a straight Grinder, and it was supposed to be more for sex? I have no idea, but...
2: Um well I do what I, I do know, know is that uh you know I, uh, straight queer people use Tinder and a lot of it is for hooking up and I think i am I'm, I'm not personally on it, but I've seen my friends do the swipe thing um i've yeah. never I've never you know I, I don't know how grinder works, but what I do know is a person that I was traveling with. Um, was able to meet somebody in at, at the hotel that we were staying at. So it's got like mm-hmm. GPS or something on it, and you it's can all chase. GPS, <laughs>
0: yeah. <You> put on. <laughs> you you upload a photo either of a face or a torso. There are a lot of headless horsemen on there, and um, and they're usually the ones demanding a face picture out of you, or else they won't talk to you, which I just find so sort of hilarious. Um, but. Uh, you then, you know, say you can sort of fill out a little profile and say what you're looking for. And, and then it just shows you everyone, you know, sort of by distance, um, you know, how far away they are from you and you can reach out to them. It's not like Tinder where you have to match in order to be able to talk. Um, you can sort of send messages to anybody and, uh, I don't, it's, it's, it's wild. I mean, it's, and being in New York, you know, and living on top of each other, and all these buildings, <laughs> it's hilarious when you look and someone is like twelve feet away from you. But
2: <laughs> well, let's let's share your specific story that uh, I believe is included in the book *Intimacy Idiot*.
0: Well, yes, yes. I mean, I've, I've, a lot of the book is is called from you know grinder meetings or manhunt, which is a website, which is still a website, but. It's, a little obsolete now. Mm, manhunt, uh, but I've manhunt manhunt which was quite the site, and yeah, I I met really a ton of people through there. I mean, it took some of the sort of more featured in the book. I met a guy who was an Australian flight attendant in town for the weekend, and he turned out to be a furry which i didn't know but he told me after we hooked up that he is a dolphin that's how he identifies and uh which you know was a hilarious long strange lovely evening actually wait
2: i'm sorry i've never heard of uh identifying as a dolphin so tell us exactly no. what 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 well, a dolphin so are you is.
0: familiar with the with the furry community and yes um i i mean i'm i'm Far from a spokesperson, but they, um, he just the, the dolphin is the animal that he identifies with. You know, he he considers himself to be sort of spiritually um, a dolphin. You know, that that same essence. You know, uh, his his words. He said, he said, you know, I'm playful and intuitive, and I'm really alert. Um,
2: <laughs> Perfect.
0: Gotcha. Uh, okay. Yeah. I uh,
2: don't, so, you know. Okay, uh, that you know, works. He
0: was a lovely guy. Um so, yeah, and I've heard from him again recently. I I've, I've been hearing from several men in the book actually, which has been, you know, knock on wood, they've all been really great about it. Um but, you know, one one guy even said, "I didn't I didn't know your name and now I do." You know, hey. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um you know, I I'm sure it's hard yeah, to choose a a favorite story that sounds weird, you know. Favorite date, <laughs> um, along the lines of what you're willing to share here on the book. But if you, yeah, you know, for a new audience, um, what do you think is is a good story to share?
0: Well, let's see. I'm trying to think. There are the dolphin story is is. Probably my favorite. Um, It's a little longer. I don't know how long we have. Um, Let's see. Yeah,
2: we got got a couple minutes, so I guess that's...
0: A couple minutes? Well, I'll read... Let me see. I'll read um, a story about parties, which is somewhat about dating. Okay. Um, (laughs) This is called People's Parties. Some people are great at parties. They know exactly when to arrive, how much to drink, and most importantly, when to leave. Me, I've arrived so early I've had to de shrimp. I've laughed wet bursts of wine onto people's faces. I've tucked hosts into bed at evening's end. Here's my usual party strategy. Find the liquor, find the food, find the space where two walls meet. Alienate enough people around you to have some breathing room. Find the attractive people. Now, this shouldn't take long. They'll be the ones getting everything they want in life. Once you've found them, stare hungrily at them all evening and interpret every alarmed flicker of eye contact from them as a new stage in your relationship. If an attractive person comes over and says something to you, perhaps something like, what are you doing over here in the corner? Always, always look behind you because nine times out of ten, a fellow attractive person has strayed from the pack and gotten lost. Like a glamorous lamb with a fade and Macklemore tickets, and is merely being retrieved. If the attractive person is indeed talking to you and seems interested, genuine, or even flirtatious, you're probably going to get murdered. You could do worse. An axe in the back is still penetration. If he's smiling, laughing, touching your arm, telling you you're funny, yeah, you're going in a well. He's going to make a coat out of your skin. But the joke's on him because you've got eczema. Oh,
2: my gosh. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh,
2: Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, Uh, We actually have time for a couple more if you want. I I wanted to. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. We have to continue reading. Um, I wanted you to read the horny New York poem. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. I love that one. Hold on. Let me flip to that. Yeah, there are um, a bunch of poems sort of threaded throughout the book. A lot of them are love poems to various strangers I see on the subway. Um, but this is this is called the horny New York poem in, in honor of summer as we sit here in New York waiting for snow. <laughs> um, <laughs> Amorous vegans mill freshly outside of Angelica Kitchen like the oats they're waiting for. A husband rides his bicycle along Houston, his wife in the basket. jaeger Braun rules the Bowery. A woman poses in the window of the Crosby Street Hotel, a hand squarely on each hip, a dominatrix, or at least trying to think like one. The night breeze is a warm exhale, an olive branch. We've peeled ourselves from our desks where we sat all day like spilled soda and stumbled sweaty zombies out into the night. Overheard on 9th Avenue. Meet, Twitter. On sixteenth Street. Why is he calling you? Oh I gave to his Kickstarter. On Bank Street. You'll never leave her. I will, I will. A man in a passing car shouts, yo that fag is gay or yo that bag is gay, it's unclear. I bet he kicked himself for that confusion. What a mouthful of marbles I have, he probably said. On Curry Row, young brothers Lehman massage each other's bespoke suited shoulders as Mater Dees bark and beckon them inside. On Second Avenue, women wilt like petals from barstool stems. In front of Sunshine Cinema, a woman screams at a man, you cannot just desert your family in New York City. And he whispers, You're gonna go to jail again. And she says, It'll be worth it. <laughs> The arriving train whips the scent of the man in front of me on the subway platform up my nostrils to my calloused receptors, and I think, okay, tonight. A man across from me cuddles a woman and tells her, you're skinny because I love you all night. An actress, in her show makeup, a face for the back of the house, brings a kale smoothie to her boyfriend's lips. A teenaged couple neck and text on the stained couch in the laundromat. And in my room, the man I just met sits naked on my bed, looking at my books, Tony Morrison inches from his inches. I've just returned with waters, which I set down for later, and in I go. In we all go, to give it another go, to lie down and be counted.
2: That is so, so, so great. Oh. Oh. I love it. Um, thank thank you. you so much for reading from the book, and also for sharing this book with us and putting it out there in the world. I truly believe that uh, by having a book like this, it does make the world a lot better and a lot more real.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you, Michelle.
2: Um, I have sure. a couple minutes with you before uh, we let you go. So, yes, uh, <laughs> you know we all have uh, you know stories about dating, but uh, is it okay to ask about your 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 life now? I, I mean, are you still single? Um, oh, sure.
0: I'm still single, yeah. Still, still still fighting the good fight. I mean I, you know, it's it's hard. You know, and and I um you know, I'm 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 trying to actually put myself out there a little more. I mean there's something there's something a little humbling about sort of finishing a book of all you know, and sort of seeing all your fumblings and mishaps all in, in a in a tidy collection that makes you sort of feel ready to think, Okay, well let me let me try and, and and put a little different energy out there. So, mm. um, you know, I'm, I'm back on all the dating sites, and I'm, you know, going out on a few dates here and there. I mean, it is hilarious to sit down with someone, and they say, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm a writer. And, oh, well, well what do you write? Oh, I, I have a book. Oh, what's it called? <laughs> it's, it's I, mean, it's, it's really,
2: <laughs> I was gonna say, it's a, um, it's a book about you and what you just, dis- yeah. you know, how you decide and how this goes.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, like Adele says, well, if you don't want me to write a song about you, don't be an asshole. So, right. um, I don't know, but it just uh, um, it's it's a hilarious moment on dates, and i have actually, I mean, hooking up is is funny now. I've had several people on Grindr say, you know, oh well. I, I I like your book, but I'd rather not be written about. So I don't think we should keep talking. You know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I shall not show you my
0: penis. Exactly. <laughs> it fed me, and I was really uh, I'm cut off.
2: Oh, so. <laughs> Isaac, I've had a lot of fun with you on the program. Thank you so much for joining us here.
0: Oh, likewise, thank you so much,
2: Isaac Oliver. Everyone, catch a copy of his book, or go ahead and buy it online or wherever you can get a book and the title of it is Intimacy Idiot. It'll probably inspire you to tell your own dating horror stories. (laughs) Don't go away when we come back. A good friend of ours will join us and that's Mitch Main.
1: And now, back to The Michelle Meow Show.
2: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our next guest is an LGBTQ Mormon activist, and he's a good friend of ours and has been on both radio and television show. Let's welcome Mitch Main to the program. Mitch, thanks so much for being with us.
5: Michelle, thank you for having me.
2: I miss you so
5: I miss you so, too. How many months has it been since we tried to get dinner together?
1: <laughs> Someday will
5: happen. It, it
2: will happen. It will happen. It will happen. We have some serious, uh, you know, uh, th- topics to discuss. Uh, you know, last year we did have Kate Kendall, who's the executive director of the National Center for Lesbian Rights, who's also um, identifies as more Mormon and from the Utah area, uh, come on to talk about, um, you know, just kind of her uh, being – well, of course, <laughs> pulling out of the Mormon Church, and, and I can't right. think of the word right now, but it's because... Resigning. resigning. The Mormon Church, um, you know, had passed a new policy. Let's go back and remind our listeners of what that policy actually is.
5: Well, it's, it was um, really shocking to, I think, even the most conservative people inside the faith. Um, and the policy essentially did two things, Michelle. Um, First and foremost is it mandated church discipline, which is the process through which people become excommunicated from the religion. It mandated church discipline for any LGBT member who um, decides to marry someone of the same gender. So anybody who decides to avail themselves of their legal right to be same-sex married will automatically be put in the crosshairs for church discipline, number one second thing it did, um, and it went even further that was even more of an affront to to most folks, is um, it denies baptism and other certain saving rights to children of LGBT individuals. Now, the reason that's problematic is because it's not just... Um, people who are you know, same-sex married, who adopt children, who are excluded from this. It's also a lot of these Mormons that you have you know, heard stories about who have gotten married to, quote-unquote, cure their homosexuality and later have come out. Um, and a lot of them have had kids, right? So now their kids um, are being denied uh, baptism um, as they grow up because the parents have entered into an authentic relationship with someone of the same gender.
2: And how has this um, new policy, how has it impacted the Mormon community, especially the LGBTQ community?
5: Well, you know, honestly, what I have seen, Michelle, is I've seen the LGBT community. Obviously, a lot of people are, you know, really devastated with this, especially in light of how much progress we have made since, you know, 2010, 2011, in terms of culturally um, changing the way Mormons think about what it means to be gay. So a lot of them were... You know, we're pretty devastated. Um, But honestly, what I have seen more of is um, the straight Mormons, the straight traditional Mormons from Bountiful, Utah, being devastated over this, and the LGBT Mormons actually coming to their side to comfort them. Um, I think this was more devastating for the devout core, the devout fundamental core of the Mormon faith, than it was for LGBT people. Um, For us as LGBT people, you know, I. I wrote an article when the policy first came out on Huffington, and I I said, you know, we've sort of have felt for a long time like this has been an abusive relationship where the church has said, you know, I hit you because I love you um, to us as as gay people. So we're kind of used to this institutional schizophrenia. Um, Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean it's okay. um, But we have context for it, right? We've kind of seen it our entire lives. It's really the heterosexual people who were so happy that we were making so much good progress here. That were the most devastated on this,
2: and even with that news um, and that amount of support from the heterosexual community uh, within the Mormon community, uh, you still have people like Russell M. Nelson, the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, um, who, who's next in line to be prophet and president of the entire church, uh, making an announcement or or pronounce that the administrative policy is a revelation from God. Therefore. Uh, being able to cement this policy near doctrinal status. What, is, what does that tell us?
5: Well, so where that gets to be really problematic is, um, you know, there are, when I spoke to what, how this feels for us as LGBT individuals, I'm speaking particularly for adults, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not speaking for the voice of youth, which scares the heck out of me, because this policy, what it's done, Michelle, is taken, you know, say you're a 13-year-old, You know, gay Mormons sitting in the pews on Sunday, and, you know, out there in the landscape, you see some of these congregations that are deciding to open the doors to everyone, right? They're like, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in your personal life. If you're married to somebody of the same gender, if you're dating somebody new every night, you're still going to have a place to go on Sunday, um, we may not be able to get you to the temple, but, you know, you're going to have a place to go on Sunday, and you're going to be welcomed, you're going to be loved, you're going to be coming to the picnics. You know, you that community, that um, community of Christ still existed. But now we've stripped that away for these kids. So these kids look out across the landscape now, and their, their choice is pretty dark. It's, you either lead this, you know, completely bleak and depressing, and for most people, impossible life of celibacy, Um, or you become excommunicated from the church. And in Mormonism, that has eternal consequences. Let's get this clear, that it isn't just, you can't come to church on Sunday, um, or, you know, we're going to tear up your membership record. It means, inside Mormonism, that you are separated from your family, your mom, your dad, your siblings, your cousins, for eternity. So you lose everything, not just for this life, but for all time and eternity. So that puts these already vulnerable kids in a really, really precarious situation. So when Elder Nelson came out, um, and um, from the accounts that I have heard, and there's a lot of us who have been really keenly interested in how this whole thing rolled out. We saw it, you know, leaked out before it ever hit the press. And we heard very different narratives um, than Elder Nelson presented in his talk in January about how this policy came to be. The inside scoop is that there is in no way, shape, or form um, conformity at the highest levels of the Church on this. Uh, It is extremely difficult. Um, There are arguments virtually daily. Uh, There is not agreement. There is not consensus. So what Elder Nelson did, to some, is a politically astute move as the next prophet um, you know, if he wanted to see this enacted as an ex-prophet of the Church, you know, he sort of like you know, shot anybody in the foot who wants to speak out against him, right, by calling him, you know, Satan's tools or whatever he, he said. Right. So, is this the truth? I don't know. Is it a political move? I don't know. It remains to be seen.
2: I, I, I want to get to, you know, this uh, alarming thought or idea. There have been a, a few ar- articles that have come out um, and how this deeply affects LGBTQ uh, youths in the Mormon community. But there's, um, I mean, I... I, I kind of wanted to ask you what your thoughts about this i mean you know it it sounds like there is an attack on the youth i mean how does that sustain the mormon church and and kind of if you're following this idea i mean do they think that this is going to change lgbtq kids or or you know even progressive uh young minds who are already accepting homosexuality or same-sex attraction
5: well i think um option b far more so than option a um I really think that what this policy does is says to – it it sort of sends the message that, you know, we don't want to see happily married, um, comfortable, you know, um, competent gay couples sitting in our our pews on Sunday. We certainly don't want to see their beautiful, perfect – um, happy children in our primary classes and playing with our other youth because if that happens then you know <clears throat> this notion that um, you know being LGBT um, is you know the most preeminent threat to you know the world today that notion is going to begin to erode and, and dissolve because you know Mormons are going to begin to realize gosh these are people just like us they get up in the morning they put their shoes on they go to work they have kids you know they argue over who's turn it is to take out the trash you know, it's like, that's the message, is we don't want to see that in our church anymore because we're afraid that's going to erode um, this, you know, message of fear that we've been spreading for so long about, you know, how being gay is, is the, the biggest threat to society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and that comes at a great cost to youth. I mean, traditionally, as you know, Jesus Christ was, um, he loved children so much, um, suffered the little children and, and forbid them not to come unto me. Um, one of his primary rules, Um, and yet here we are, you know, throwing that back in his face and saying, oh, well, you know, we're, we, we don't really want these kids, um, we don't, and we're using this phraseology that we don't want to create dissonance for them because we're going to teach over the pulpit that, you know, their parents are bad and wrong and evil, mm-hmm. so we don't want to create dissonance for these kids. And I'm thinking, well, a better way to not create dissonance for these kids would be to stop preaching that their parents are bad, evil, and wrong, wouldn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, we have a, a couple minutes left, long before we have to take a break, or I have a big, heavy question. Good. Yeah. Why don't we Why don't we take a a break right here? And when we come back, I'll I will continue with this discussion regarding the the Mormon Church and the LGBTQ community. Don't go away, Mitch Main. We'll be right back.
1: Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. Now back to the Michelle Meow Show.
2: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our guest today is Mitch Main, who's an LGBTQ Mormon activist, and we're having a discussion about the anti-gay. Policies that the Mormon Church has passed, um, and how that impacts the LGBTQ community, but especially the youth community. Mitch, my question that I wanted to ask right before we went to break, um, I want to go back to you know the announcement that Utah had passed for what they thought you know was this. Um, uh, groundbreaking uh collaboration between Mormon leaders and uh policymakers in Utah um that really what could be uh, you know a a sample of coming together to protect religious freedom and also uh, protect sexual uh orientation and gender identity if we go back to that um I, I don't i can't help but feel like from an outsider's perspective that when that that bill passed uh the church you know it was it it kind of feels like a slap in the face i mean was this part of the strategy in order to then pass a, a very very uh horrible anti-gay policy within the church
5: that is a great question isn't it um it feels uh, minimally um schizophrenic doesn't it yeah <laughs> um and that is what i you know i keep going back to um you know when i describe <coughs> The process of change, right? So um, just since I have been on the horizon of this Mormon change type stuff on the LGBT front, which um, I never thought that I would be doing, I'm sort of like the accidental activist, if you will. Um, Just since I've come on the scene, there have been so many optimistic moves, not just culturally by you know, by Mormon people, right? But also by the institution itself as as well. And that's why when this policy came down, it was literally, there was a collective gasp within, you know, the Mormon community that it's just like, how can we do this? It's like now that we've, you know, I don't know, it does, it feels like political or, or institutional schizophrenia, Michelle. And um, it, it's a difficult, it's difficult for people to trust the institution right now.
2: Mm-hmm. And what do you think, you know, Policymakers or pro LGBTQ uh, equal rights um, within the Utah space uh, or area, um, and even the Mormon Church. I mean, what is the response to these anti gay policies? Is there anything being mobilized to counter this? Or, or uh, I, I wanted to ask you this: or will the, will will the church split? Will there be a, a more progressive version of the Mormon Church um, versus these guys who are going back to? I don't know what land, but (laughs) a a dark, dark place. Um, Yeah, what are your thoughts?
5: Well, I, you know, I'll tell you. Let me start that. The answer by telling you what my email box is full of. It's full of a lot of stuff, but but um, one of them, uh, a large proportion of what's in my box right now are these, you know, what I would call formerly really devout uh, Mormons who, um, you know, didn't even think about being gay, thought gay marriage was wrong. Um, you know, and this policy has really done more to create the next generation of LGBT ally inside Mormonism than any grassroots um, effort that anyone could have created, uh, because it really is making people think. I'll just read you this quick one from a, a woman in Utah. Um, I've been a firm opponent, opponent of LGBT marriage, but this, especially with the exclusion of children, is too much for me to bear. Um, I know this did not come from God and I am speaking out against it, and I don't care about the consequence. It's time for me to finally do what is right for the gay community. Mm-hmm. The only thing I regret is it took me this long to get here. So that's the sort of thinking that we're seeing really spawn inside the Mormon community, and it isn't organized quite yet. It isn't, um, we haven't decided exactly what that means when she says speak out. I'm sure she's still trying to figure that out for herself, because in some way, shape, or form, these people will also put crosshairs on themselves. Right for speaking out against the um, religious authority. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's, um, I believe what's going to happen, Michelle, and I don't have a magic eight ball on this, <laughs> but uh, this is a problem for our church, and it is a big, big problem. Um, this policy, and now the elevation from Elder Nelson to you know, near doctrinal status, has the capacity to splinter us like nothing uh, most of us alive today has ever seen, even more so than if we go back to the 60s and the 70s and look at our racist policies on, um, on black members. Because um, what this means is this cuts to the very core of one of the fundamentals of the Mormon faith, and that is the family. We are asking parents now to abandon their kids. We are asking children You know, if you want to be baptized into the Mormon faith and you have an LGBT parent, we can baptize you at age 18, but you have to disavow your parents' relationship. This is self-mutilating to the faith. It cannot be sustainable. Um, What is going to happen is if we don't make a shift and do it quickly, um, we are going to wither away into some little bizarre religion of you know, bigots and extremists, and mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to have a temple up here in Oakland. We're going to have a museum. Right. So it's it's a big problem for the church, and it needs to be addressed quickly.
2: Um, you had mentioned this earlier, and uh, we said we'd come back to it, but there have been reports um, of an increase of reported suicide deaths in the Mormon LGBTQ community. Can you confirm that? Or
5: yeah, how the? I mean, to be honest with you, it's like you you grew up you know, gay, and you know what institutional um, rejection feels like. Sure. Um, and you probably also know what family rejection feels like and, and how, it, how it works. And we've known for a very, very long time, for generations, that um, you know, LGBT youth have been taking their own lives based on what they feel that they learn about themselves or hear about themselves in church. I actually did myself. When I was 16 years old, I tried six times to take my own life. I mm-hmm. failed every single time, um, so this is not only my, you know, my lived experience, but it's you know, something that I deal with when I deal with these families and kids every single day. Um, so we've known these numbers have been ridiculously high for a very, very long time. And it's not going to be long before um, the Utah State's authorities start to take a, a serious look at the fact that you know, suicide is the number one cause of death for children between the ages of 10 and 17 um, in the entire state, and it's a heavily Mormon-populated state. And what we've seen is um, a friend of mine um, who is just sort of out of the blue, started collecting data um, when the policy was changed back in November, um, who is uh, kind of a lifeline for a lot of people like I am, and, you know, she collected over just a few months period of time 32 Um, individuals who called her to reach out to her to say, my son slash daughter has taken their own life. So these were confirmed to her. Um, And that's just in Utah. And those are just the ones we know about. We don't know about most of them, Michelle, because um, perfect example, a couple years ago, I found out about a a 17-year-old boy who, you know, took a shotgun um, to his high school um, when it was, you know, summer break, and sat in the back of the high school in his car and shot himself in the head. Um, I reached out to his parents because uh, I knew he was a gay kid. He'd reached out to me, and they said, "Please don't say anything to the press. Don't do any articles on this because we have enough to deal with. You know, mourning our our son who committed suicide. We don't need the shame of also knowing that he was gay." Um, so a lot of these suicides aren't reported as LGBT youth suicides because nobody wants to carry that what they feel is the shame of um, having a gay child
2: in wrapping up and you know why we're having a discussion, Mitch, um, I, you know, you yourself being out there being an LGBTQ activist and being Mormon. I mean, you are a figure of hope for the young, um, there are programs or resources there are organizations and there are people like you that are willing to help uh, if if people need them parents and youths can you tell us about any resources or or people they can turn to
5: absolutely um, we, we have a huge uh, Progressive Mormons are more connected than most people when it comes to social media. <laughs> um, and over the past five or six years, there are huge groups of people from Mama Dragons, which is, you know, a collection of moms of, um, of gay kids inside the faith who fight diligently for their, for their child's safety and protection, uh, to just standard members who, you know, put out um, notices on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram, you know, look, if you need somebody to talk to, here's a suicide prevention hotline, or call me. And, you know, they'll actually include their phone number out there. So um, if anybody needs resources, um, I am happy to act as a referral source. Uh, You know, you can reach me directly. um, If you want to share my email, feel free to do so. Um, But yeah, I can definitely help plug people in. Um, We also have great research from... Family Acceptance Project, Michelle, which can be downloaded um, at no cost. That's evidence-based research that shows parents how to respond to LGBT kids um, in a way that keeps them safe uh, from suicide risk, but also um, maintains um, maintains the best part of Mormon doctrine.
2: Thank you so much for that, Mitch. And I will definitely post your your email address if that's okay.
5: <laughs> that's perfectly fine, and I'll shoot you over the URL for the Family Acceptance Project and. Um, we can post that out there, too, because a lot of people find that research really, really helpful.
2: Okay, great. We'll include that in the description of the show today. Mitch, thank you so much for being here with us and for always being a friend and for the work that you do.
5: Thank you, my friend. Have a good day.
2: You, too. So, Fong, is that the, is that the end? Did we already hit our mark? Way over? Oh, sorry, Fong. <laughs> That's the end of the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. See you then.